Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright. And I'm Vicar Hill. And today we're going to look at the readings for the fifth Sunday of Easter. And if you would like to listen to the readings for the fifth Sunday of Easter, you can do so by listening to the readings podcast that was dropped right before this. So we're also going to do option B for the gospel lesson, and that's St. John 13, 31 through 35, instead of option A, which is St. John 16, 12 through 22. And it's a short text, and it's interesting, and there's a lot of implications, and there's some background context to build this up and to make it make sense. It is in the midst of the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, and we have Jesus taking this opportunity to really lay out to the disciples, guys, I'm leaving, I'm going to be gone, you're not to see me, but don't worry, I'm coming back. And what I love about this is I don't think I'm obtuse. I think I'm a pretty observant guy. I think I connect dots pretty well uh, until I don't. Uh, Not too long ago, my wife asked me to stir the soup on the oven or on the stove. Uh, It's bad that if the soup was in the oven. (laughs) So I walk over, stir it, and then come back, and she asked, well, what did it look like? I could not, for the life of me, remember what it looked like because I was asked to stir, so all I did was stir. So I I, I get the disciples that they don't connect dots that seem obvious. Jesus is talking about his not only betrayal, but the trial, his death, his resurrection. And this isn't the first time. This isn't crazy talk. This isn't out of the blue. But I really do think that they're all reclining at table and they're slack-jawed listening to Jesus trying to figure out what is he talking about. Yes, my first comment of this episode is going to be that every obtuse person says, I don't think I'm obtuse. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, so with this, there's a lot going on, as you've mentioned here. And um, are they just in awe? Mm-hmm. Uh, are they not really understanding what he's saying? Are they soaking it all in? Are they feverish, feverishly writing it all down? Uh, We don't really know. Probably not the last one. Um, But here you have a lot of teaching going on. And with this, too, we also have uh, a lot of actions being done. And I've mentioned this in the last few episodes, but in the Gospel of John, you have this strong connection between um, seeing something and understanding. And that's really going to come out here uh, at the end of our reading. I don't want to jump ahead of of myself here, but the end of our reading where Jesus uh, gives the instruction to love one another, uh, but he doesn't just say it, he actually does something before that. So there's a lot going on here, and I bring that up to kind of to, to make the point of um, a lot is being said, and I don't think a lot is really being understood at this point. So just like you uh, not looking at the 
the soup or the stew, but really just doing what you need to do. I think the disciples at this point are really just, um, they're, they're in it for the ride and they're doing the things that need to be done. Uh, they're, they're listening to Jesus, maybe not getting it all, but they're there. They're enjoying the meal. Uh, he's saying things. They might, some of it might be going over their heads, mm-hmm. um, but they're there. They're being faithful. And that's kind of a, an interesting way to kind of come about it as they're, um, again, in the upper room uh, when we enter the text here in John chapter 13. So I, I think it's interesting, and this might be a rabbit hole, but you made the statement, they're being faithful. And, and I don't want to throw them under the bus, and I, I don't want to impinge their, their, their faith. Because uh, when I, I said they're sitting there slack-jawed, they don't have a clue. He just gave them his body and blood. I don't think they got it. Or, or it was, and I, I like how you, you, you graciously and very nicely um Jesus said so, so it is. Well, what does it mean? Jesus said so. They're, they're really doing the Sunday school answer, Jesus. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, and, and that is true faith. Uh, but, but the bigness of what's happening, and especially just in these four verses, uh, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man. And um, when he went out, that's uh, Judas. Uh, Judas has just left the building. Uh, he is going to go and betray Jesus. Um, they just had their whole exchange. And so it's only the 11. And um, then Jesus says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Jesus has this amazing way of just being so clear and what he's saying. He doesn't hem-haw. He doesn't make it harder than it has to be. He's talking about the cross and the fact that he will be glorified. And again, this is one of the reasons I think the, the disciples are just trying to figure out what is he talking about. And they'll get it after. Because to, to have somebody say, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, God's going to be glorified. These are, are huge concepts. And uh, I don't think they get it, and it's not because they're not smart. They're just not connecting the dots uh, at this moment. But the bigness of Jesus right there standing, sitting, and saying, I will be glorified. I don't doubt that everybody at the table believes that he is the Son of God, but they don't know what that means. And then on top of that, why does God die on the cross? Or better yet, why does God have to die on the cross? Or even worse, can God die on the cross? And, you know, all these immediate questions that just kind of to spill out. But Jesus just told them, I will be glorified. God will be glorified. God will be glorified in me. I will be glorified in God. And just it really dumps it on them. And I wonder at this point if, um, you know, if, if they're not perking up and getting a little excited because he doesn't say in what way he's well, yeah. going to be glorified. And so, um, you know, it might be some of those, oh, is, are things about to start now? Yeah. Is he going to usher in the kingdom of God? I mean, all these thoughts that are that might be swirling around at this point because um, he's doing things that no one's ever done before. He's right. He's saying things that don't make any sense because... 
they haven't heard these things before. And so all of this is new and they're trying to piece it together. Uh, and I just, as you were talking, I had to wonder, you know, if they start to get a little excited here because, okay, God is finally going to be glorified in Jesus. What does that mean? Right. Uh, and it's only going to be after that they can kind of retrospectively, you know, they're, they're given the spirit and then they can put all of these things together and they start to make sense. But I mean, the questions you bring up are huge questions because uh, I think part of the, the misunderstanding here is no one uh, before Jesus' crucifixion, nobody would um, ever think that God would die, first of all, uh, but that also that death would bring glory. Those things just, there's a misalignment here of what's about to happen. Uh, and of course, they don't know what's going to happen. So it's it's interesting what must be going on at that moment. I, I really like the, the excitement aspect that you bring to that. And is he bringing, ushering in, and then we're on the front row, we're the inner circle, we're the guys that he's going to usher it into first. And I really like that because, again, well, it's earthly, it's lazy, um, it's low-hanging fruit. And what I mean by that is that's what they're fully expecting because that's what they've been taught. When the Messiah shows up, it is to establish the earthly kingdom. And this is when the, the Jews ask, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? They're asking, where's the kingdom? Where, where's the holy city that comes down and will be established when do we get to rule the rest of the world? And I really like that idea. Um, I, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't think in the, the, those terms. And it's really nice because it's, it's human, and it also makes sense. And I, I like that because Jesus messes that up very quickly. He kind of any any excitement that might have been in the room, he quickly yeah. sucks it all out. There's just that everything is yeah. it all gets deflated because he's leaving. Well, yeah, cuz he says little children. And I always want to stress this isn't him demeaning the disciples. Um little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you. Where I am going, you cannot come. He's talking about dying. And again, Jesus doesn't come out and say it. He said it before. And so this shouldn't be a surprise. And again, us on, on the side of the resurrection, we see the whole picture. We know that the disciples should be getting it. But a little while I'm like, oh, well, where are you going to go? Are you going to go to the store or, you know, are you visiting your aunt? Where, where are you going, Jesus. He doesn't say. And I think this is just interesting because I wonder, and, and I don't know, has Jesus told them enough? And I'm going to let you figure it out and you'll see it. Just, just let me show you. Because, again, this is the night in which he's, he's going to be betrayed. It's not like he hasn't told them before. And I don't think he's frustrated or exasperated. And Come on, guys, why aren't you getting this? I think so much is happening that it's, hey, I just want to prepare you for this. I'm leaving. And you won't find me, and you can't come with me. I think this also is a really interesting statement. You can't come with me. Is this giving them permission to run away? So the soldiers come. Oh, remember when Jesus says we can't come with him? This is the key. We got to go the other yeah, way. That's our out. Yeah. Um I, I, I don't think that at all, but uh, the whole idea that it's not their time to die. 
um, when the sons of Zebedee, the, the, the uh, brothers of thunder, uh, Jesus, we want to sit on your right and left. Can you drink from the cup that I drink? Well, yeah, sure, Jesus, we'll, we'll drink anything. You will later, but not now. And, and that idea, again, the, the bigness, you cannot come where I'm going. This is, he's entering into death, but he's entering as the Messiah, as God. He is entering as the one who will be glorified, conquering death. If we're going to enter into death, we do not do it conquering. We do it because we can't overcome death. And so I think that is just a huge statement that I have no problem saying goes right over their heads because I really like how you approached it. Okay, we're going to live because he dies? That doesn't make sense. How is death going to be a good thing? And then why can't we follow where you go? You know, these things are just unnatural and they're not reasonable to think. He just lays on the disciples. I, I think uh, I was, I was as you were talking, I had the, uh, it's not you, it's me, the, <laughs> the breakup line, because he's saying he's leaving, and yeah. he doesn't really give a reason why, but he says, you can't come with me. Yeah. And they're probably like, um, what now? I thought we were friends. Yes. And, uh, and this is just, he's going into new territory. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't get it, but here they are. And it's interesting that this is an Easter text yeah. out of the lectionary. Um, because there's no Easter involved in this text. Uh, again, I don't want to jump ahead of us, but the last couple of verses, he just moves on and gives them a, a, some instruction. He gives them the, a new commandment. Right. He doesn't say, I'm going away. You can't come because I'm going to die. But don't worry, I'm coming back. Here in John 13, he just says, I'm going away. Mm -hmm. And then washes his hands, I'm done with it. There's there's no resurrection that he mentions. Uh, so they have to wait for that part. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of interesting that this comes in our lectionary in the season of Easter, uh, because if you're in the disciples camp here, this isn't good news. Nope. Well, and then to continue with that, as you said, uh, this is verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved, if you have love for one another. And I really like this because I will attach this to what Jesus is doing and then put it in the bigger context of the Monday, Thursday event as a whole. What does he do at the Lord's Supper? Well, he institutes it. And this is him giving of himself his body and blood. This is sacrifice. He gives it to them. But then on top of that, he washes their feet. Kings don't wash other people's feet. I'm not a king. I'm not a servant. I wash no one's feet. But just that whole idea, that's the lowliest of low jobs that the servants do. And you have king of all creation, the Lord of life, washing the disciples' feet, showing this is servanthood. This is me taking care of you. I mean, he even argues with Peter. And, and even when Peter um, coalesces to the idea of having his feet washed, wash everything. And Jesus, no, it's good enough for, for your feet. But again, the bigness of 
this is what love looks like. It is truly sacrificial. Uh, before we push record, the whole idea that uh, Jesus is literally saying, I want you to love people to death, not their death, your death, mm-hmm. and willingly sacrifice your life. Again, that doesn't make sense, but Jesus proves it. And of course, he proves it by going to the cross and the resurrection. And we should look at this in the same way, that even in our death, we have the promise of resurrection. Death is not the end. That's real easy to say. I can't imagine, hey guys, we're going to go die now. Okay. You know, I, I can't imagine where that would sound okay. But this is exactly what Jesus does and then commands. And this is out of, out of love. This is for love of the neighbor. And I, I think it's interesting, as we were talking before we recorded, uh, the whole idea of a new commandment. This isn't actually something new that Jesus has said. And it's not even new in the idea that it hasn't come from God or the prophets. Uh, the whole idea of loving your neighbor is a pretty consistent concept from the Old Testament into the New Testament to today. That one goes way back. Right. So that whole new commandment thing, I think, is really interesting because it's connected. And I, I think you really opened the door very nicely. Jesus is doing new things. He's doing a new thing. And the whole idea of he's taking on death, he's dying to death so that death will die. That's not right. That doesn't make sense. And, and only God can do that, and only Christ can do that. But then turning around and connecting love into that. This is how I'm going to love you, to my death, so that you'll have life, so that you will actually have the freedom to love one another. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. And you will do this because that's what you get to do. And then that that last statement, verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. Again, that's a whole idea that your friends should never be surprised to find out that you're a Christian (laughs) because you should be doing these things because they should be flowing naturally from you. You should be wanting and desiring to do this, not for glory, but for what you are in Christ. So again, I really think that you opened the door very nicely to this. Because it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense today. Um, it, it's easy to talk about. It. It's a sanctified life. It's a baptismal life. We should love our neighbor. But what does that look like? Well, if my arm was long enough, I would pat myself on the back, but I <laughs> won't do that. Um, so with that, what I, what I like about this as a visual learner myself is Jesus isn't just uh, telling them what to do, but he just sh- he, he just finished showing them what that actually looks mm-hmm. like. Uh, so by washing feet giving of himself in in bread and wine, in with and under that. He's serving them. Right. He's showing them what this love actually looks like. Uh, and this this idea of it being a new commandment, as we were kind of joking about earlier, I mean, this, this isn't all that new, Jesus. What are you talking about? But he's kind of stepping it to the next level. Um, so I, I kind of make the connection here to the Sermon on the Mount and mm-hmm. Jesus, where he kind of, he kind of, Antes up. He kind of one-ups everything. Um, if you think, uh, you know, keeping the sixth commandment is just not sleeping with someone who's not your spouse. No, it's actually when you don't have, when you have lustful thoughts, you've broken the sixth commandment. And so it's, it's, it's kind of taking it to the next level. And here Jesus is saying, loving your neighbor isn't just, you know, a, a polite smile and a wave. It's being willing to sacrifice your own life for them. 
So it's taking it to the next degree. Uh, and he, he embodies that with his work that he is about to do on the cross. He's taking that to a level that's never been done before. I mean, the sacrifices to pay for sin before this, you, you chop up a bull, you burn some grain, whatever it may be. But here we have to the extreme, right. Jesus is going to pay for sin by laying down his own life. Uh, so it's, it's tying together all these things that he's not just saying, but he's also doing, and that are going to be completed when he comes back and all these dots are going to be connected. Okay, so let's jump into the future as in our present. We see Jesus die. We see him resurrected. We see him ascend. Now we are in this current state of Advent, waiting for his second coming. Our dots are pretty much connected, and now we're waiting. How do we deal with the whole idea that we're to love our neighbor, and, and again, sacrificial, but what are we what are we doing with this information? How how do we take this? Um, how do we participate, so to speak, in the text? And again, not making it about us. This isn't a, a, a how to book or a how to podcast. But what's the application to this? Instead of oh, this is connected to the night in which you betrayed the Lord's Supper and Jesus washing feet and saying the same thing he said another time. Well, I think you have to connect it connect it to the resurrection, um, because that is where the victory comes. The victory over death comes in Jesus' resurrection. We know that just as he rose, we too will rise. That's the promise we're given in his resurrection. Uh, and so the, the joy that comes in the Easter resurrection celebration, that's what we hold on to. And that's not to say there aren't going to be any troubles or difficulties in this life. Those are going to come. Mm -hmm. uh, but as Christians, we get to live in the joy of knowing that victory over the grave has already been won. Uh, so sometimes uh, we get a little dour. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're waiting for Jesus to return. And yeah, sometimes... We're waiting for Jesus to return, and then everything will be good. But in the meantime, we got to be, you know, oh, woe is me. Well, that's not how he calls us to live. Mm -hmm. He calls us to live in the joy that is ours in the Easter victory here and now. Yes, we're awaiting something even better, but the victory is already ours. And in that victory, that's where it opens you up to love and serve your neighbor, um, to, to try to, um, you know, speak speak to them where the spirit will will work in them to bring them into this victory too. Uh, and so that's where I think it makes that Easter connection. Uh, I'm assuming that's why the lectionary uh, bigwigs put this one in here because we have this connection here um, because of what Christ did on the cross, because he rose from the grave, we now live in that victory. And that's where I think the the practical here and now comes out. So I want to make the same point, but I want to do it a different way. A better way? You can say I, it. I it's okay. If you... better way. <laughs> well, I like the idea that, um, again, Jesus is preparing. He's preparing us. He was trying to prepare the disciples. Um, and again, not that they missed it because they, they were dumb or anything. Again, just the hugeness of that. But the idea that he never takes away suffering and he never skirts away for my namesake, you will suffer. Uh, life will be hard. Uh, uh, birth pains. There's there's a lot of imagery about suffering. 
Jesus promises suffering, not because he delights in your suffering, but because he too suffered, and, and we will struggle on this side of heaven in that. But the whole idea that we have his love and that we get to love, this is preparing us for fights. This is preparing us for suffering, heartache, um, whatever trials and tribulations you, dear listener, are going through. This text is saying, that's going to happen. And you may not see me now, but I am coming back and you get to be in my love, the love that you saw take place through the cross, through the resurrection, and now that you wait for the fullness, and this is our resurrection. And I really like that idea of preparing us in the sanctified life. We do live a sanctified life because we've been baptized into him, because we have his work. And I really like that because, again, I like the, the promise and the security, I didn't do it, but I get to participate and that last statement, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, not because of what you do, but because of what has been done to you as you live that out. And it goes to, to your statement, the idea that we get to love one another, we get to participate, we get to be these things because we see what has happened in Christ. So I, I like the idea, and I really do appreciate that you bring this into the Easter context instead of the Holy Week context that it's written in that we see the bigger picture already taking place there in the Monday, Thursday text, but we also get to apply that to our current waiting. We, we, we wait with expectation. We wait with excitement, even though we might be suffering, even though we might be hurting, even though we might be asking God, how long? We do this in faith and trust and hope because we know the resurrection is ours also. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support. <laughs>